Our Lord and our God, we come to Thee, who art the author of all good, and in whose hands is the life of every living thing. We thank Thee that Thou hast made us, redeemed us, and by Thy providential care guided and blessed us. Thou art, O Lord, good unto us who so often cannot be good to ourselves. And we praise Thee. Make us strong in Thy word. Guide us step by step all the days of our life. And make us a people filled with Thy Spirit, faithful to Thine every word, and bold in thy service. Grant us this we beseech thee in Jesus' name. Amen. Our subject this morning is death. In particular, Matthew 6, verse 12. We shall read verses 9 through 15 of Matthew 6. Our subject, deaths. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Our concern is with the petition Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What does it mean? The word that is here used is very specific in the Greek. It is debts, the kind of debt you have when you buy a house or when you borrow money. There is no mistaking the meaning. Some churches, however, in using the Lord's Prayer, will say, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, it is clear that our Lord has that meaning partially in mind. Because we read in verses 14 and 15 a development of the meaning of verse 12, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So our Lord very definitely here is talking about death and yet has trespasses in mind. The word trespasses means a false step, any moral deviation from righteousness and truth. 
But the word our Lord uses in the prayer is very definitely death. Again, on another occasion, Luke 11, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 records it. Our Lord was also asked about prayer. And again, he summarizes basic prayer using most of the Lord's prayer as we have it in the Sermon on the Mount. Here, however, he says, and forgive us our sins, hamartia, are falling short. For, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. So here too our Lord uses the word debt very definitely. Those sins and trespasses are definitely included in the meaning. The primary the essential meaning of this petition is death. Why? Well, sin requires payment in the form of restitution. There must be restitution plus restoration. All sin places man in the position of being required to make restitution to God and to restore God's order. Now man is not capable of doing this and Christ does this for us. Moreover, in our relationship with our fellow men, we are required to make restitution, restoration, when we sin against them. So sin does incur a debt to God and to man. The context here, of course, is not with regard to Christ's atonement, his restitution to God. It is not a salvationist meaning, but a sanctification meaning. He is talking to disciples. In the use of the same petition in Luke, the reference is not to anomia, the sin of the unbeliever, but hamartia, the falling short of the Christian. This prayer is taught to the disciples and therefore to us. It sets forth our growth in relationship to God and how we should pray for that growth. Death. This is a central subject in the Bible. Both in the Old and New Testament a great deal is said about death. We have, of course, basic to the Old Testament, the doctrine of the Jubilee, the culmination, the Sabbath of Sabbath. Every seventh year there was to be a cancellation of debt. Bond servants were to be freed. And in every Sabbath of sabbatical years, the 50th year, there was to be a release of bond servants, the restoration of land, and the cancellation of all death. According to Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, which our Lord quotes, the Savior is the Jubilee man. 
he declares, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And what is his calling because the Spirit of the Lord is upon him? To proclaim release, freedom for the captive, release of debt. Christ, therefore, comes as the great Jubilee man. And as the Jubilee man, he begins the Jubilee of God, the great Jubilee, with his death, atonement, and resurrection. The great commission sends us out to be his Jubilee people to all the world. We can see something of the meaning of the Jubilee in Leviticus 25, verses 9 and 10. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. In the day of atonement shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And ye shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and ye shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family. Restitution is made by God to the Day of Atonement. All deaths are canceled, and restoration follows. The fact that a portion of this verse Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof is on the liberty bell should make us realize certain things. The men at that time knew the Bible. They knew the meaning of the Jubilee. They had the doctrine of the Jubilee in mind. And they saw this country as a Jubilee land, faithful to the Lord, faithful to his word concerning all things, including death. This is why, within my lifetime, deaths were not long-term deaths. They were short-term, six-year deaths. We still had the background of a belief in the Jubilee. Now, this is what the Lord's Prayer has reference to. It's the framework that declares that salvation means that we live as a jubilee people, and that is Christian reconstruction. This is a doctrine that the pagans never had. We have, it is very interesting, almost a parallel of a diabolical sort to this petition in our Lord's Prayer, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In the prayer of Apollonius of Tyana, a pagan philosopher and religious leader of the first century, after Christ, apparently, perhaps he had heard of the Lord's Prayer. But his model prayer for all men was this. Give me, ye gods, what is my due. Give me, ye gods, what is my due. In other words, instead of man by his sin being in debt to God, 
a debt which only Christ can pay. Apollonius, Apollonius of Tiana sees God as the debtor or to man. A very prominent English scholar at the beginning of the century wrote a most admiring book on Apollonius. And that book was reprinted a few years ago in this country. The book was originally published in England. This tells us something of the modern mentality. God in debt to man rather than sin making man in debt to God. We are told to pray, forgive us as we forgive. Or in Luke our Lord says, for we have forgiven. In other words, in either case, we are to be forgiven as we have forgiven because it can be rendered as we have forgiven. Give us a jubilee. If we are already a jubilee to the world. Now, the doctrine of the jubilee is a direct denial of a doctrine that was common to most of Asia and at that time, the time of our Lord had infiltrated European thought. The doctrine of karma, K-A-R-M-A. We see it most clearly in India where it is still the prevailing doctrine to this day. The doctrine of karma is that our acts create a chain of hostility which governs us so that man is bound by the past and he must endlessly be reincarnated until finally he works out the punishment of karma for past sins and then can die eternally. Now consider what this doctrine does. It is a doctrine of the most rigid causality. And it says that this causality, the causality of sin, rules the world. Sin, in other words, becomes God. Sin is the ruler of all things. Whereas for us, it is not sin which is the determining causality. But God and His grace. If it were sin, if karma were the truth, all of us would be governed by our past and our sins would be the determining power in our lives and we could never escape and go beyond them. But it is God and His grace which constitutes the governing force in all creation, the basic causality. And because this is true, it is not karma, but God's grace that rules us and makes us jubilee men. To pray this petition is to declare that we believe in the jubilee of Christ and want to be living trumpets of his liberty. Let's look again at the word debt to understand its basic meaning. Its economic 
meaning. In the ancient world, the great empire was Babylon, the original Babylon, which built its empire on debt. The ancient Babylonians were an intelligent people. They realize that there is nothing that destroys the people more as far as their morale and their morality is concerned than debt living. Debt living means we are governed by the past. The money we spent last year and five years ago and six years ago, all those debts are governing us today and controlling us so that our life economically and morally is controlled by the past. Now, do you see a relationship that our Lord is making when he uses the word debt and sin interchangeably? Debts and sin are the past governing us if we are not under Christ, if we are not out of debt out of sin and in grace. So that if we are not going to have the karma of sin and the karma of debt, we must live in terms of the Word of God, in terms of His grace, in terms of His law word. Oh, no man anything save to love one another. And debt is limited to a six-year span because we are not to be a past-bound, a past-governed people. Certainly, this is appropriate teaching from our Lord for any and every age, and perhaps never more so than now, when the world is more in debt than perhaps in all of history. Mark and I have been reading a book on the coming real estate crash. The thesis of which is that whenever a great mountain of debt builds up, it sooner or later collapses and destroys everyone involved. He foresees a time not too far distant when Real estate values will begin to crumble dramatically day after day. He sees it likely at any time beginning now to 84 or 85. Whether he is right or not, however, or they, there are two writers, what our Lord says is true. And it is true that ancient Babylon and then after Babylon, Assyria used death to destroy people. Their traders fanned out all over the world of the Mediterranean sphere, giving easy credit, controlled at all times by the Babylonian and then the Assyrian empires, so that people would be enslaved. The Bible speaks of debt as slavery. And once they were enslaved by debt, their morale and their morality would be destroyed. 
And then the armies would begin to march after a few years into those countries. And a debt-enslaved people, not being a free people, had no real resistance to offer. Debt living is also a form of covetousness. It is practical atheism. This is why it is forbidden to believers. The social consequences of debt are covetousness, ungodliness, and an inflationary society. It gives us a closed future. The karma of debt and of sin from the past governs us. Debt is the word used by our Lord. But he includes the meaning of trespasses to harbor hatred and grudges, hostilities. Vengeance to do so is to be past bound. Then there is no forgiveness in us. Karma, the past, controls us. Forgive, let go. The sacrificial system sets forth the meaning of sacrifice and restitution. In the sacrificial system, a man comes forward with the gift of a sacrifice, which he offers by faith an offering of restitution, an unblemished offering which typifies Christ. And the charges against him are dropped because satisfaction is rendered. We have a book in the Bible which illustrates this petition, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or forgive us our debts as we have forgiven or for we have forgiven those who are indebted to us. It is the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon gives us a very, very sad episode with a very happy ending. Philemon was a Christian and a friend of St. Paul's. His brother was Onesimus his brother by blood. Onesimus had used up his inheritance or whatever he had and had become a slave. And his brother Philemon had bought him to prevent his brother being a slave to strangers. But he had robbed his own brother apparently and fled to Rome. There he ended up in jail. He met Paul. Paul not only converted him, but he, Onesimus, became a blessing to Paul. Paul therefore sends Onesimus back to his brother Philemon with the letter we have in the Bible. To tell him now you have a brother who is doubly your brother, not by blood only, but by faith and forgive him. And if he owes you anything for what he stole, put it to my account in case he doesn't repay you.
I, Paul, tell you, I will repay it. But of course, you owe something to me for what I've done to you. And I owe something to Onesimus for the blessing he has been to me. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What Paul is here telling Philemon is that God in Christ has forgiven us. Here we have a situation where sin is involved and restitution needs to be made. But in a marvelous way, by the grace of God, Onesimus has made restitution to me. And I certainly have, you are in my debt. So we have a debt here, a three-way debt that can be canceled. This petition, moreover, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, can be linked to the first great petition. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom is the world's future. It must govern us, not past debts and sins, grudges and hatreds and hostilities. All men who choose the past and karma choose death. The world of death is the world of karma, of the past. But we have been called to be the people of the future. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank Thee for Thy Word and its plain speaking. Give us grace to live as the people of freedom, as the people of the future, as heirs, of this earth. Bless us to this purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. Are there any questions now? Yes. Is there any connection between the doctrine of karma, where they had to work out uh, their past sins, and the doctrine of purgatory, where someone went to purgatory and then had to be worked out by prayer or <clears throat> to, to heaven? Yes, there is a relationship, definitely, between karma and purgatory. You see, it's a very mild form of what reincarnation requires. Yes? Where is the principle of debt being allowed for a maximum of six years found in Scripture? That is in a number of passages. It is limited to uh, six years in several places in the law. Uh, let me see if... Well, the Sabbath law in Leviticus 26, of course. And there are a number of passages in Deuteronomy. I have them listed in Institutes of Biblical Law. Any other questions or comments? If not, that will conclude our meeting. Yes? Have you heard anything more about Lester Roloff? Was his date in March or April? That you April 8th. Oh. This is the 
fifth today, so it will be Wednesday of this week. So we should be in prayer for that trial. 